0: Jennifer Bruner suggests mail-in elections and other reforms. State budget talks heat up, and the mayor looks to cut city worker benefits to save money. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record.
1: From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on
2: the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week... Kathy Kandisky, Statehouse reporter for the Columbus Dispatch; Reginald Fields, Statehouse bureau chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer; Marianne Sharkey, public affairs consultant; and Katherine Turser, legislative director for Ohio Citizen Action.
0: Welcome to Columbus on the Record. The 2010 election could look a little bit different than the 2008 election if Jennifer Bruner convinces lawmakers to okay her reforms. After hearing from experts at two summits, Brunner recommends several changes in how Ohioans cast their ballots. Some of the more interesting reforms include shortening the early voting period by 10 days, but quadrupling early voting locations. She would also loosen provisional ballot rules. She wants to do away with those sneaky and costly August elections. And she would have mail-only elections to fill vacancies in elected offices. Catherine Turser, which reform surprised you the most? You found most interesting?
1: Well, one of the things I found the most interesting was she decided that she wanted to fund something that in- investigated voter fraud. And as you think about I was like, well, that's very interesting because all along she's been talking about there's a difference between voter registration fraud and voter fraud. And you know what? It makes good sense when you think about it. You know, why not get the facts? Let's actually investigate this. Let's actually figure out what's going on in Ohio elections.
0: Is that a bit of a, like a a peace offering to the opponents to say I, mean, I want to do it all this is bipartisan I
1: you know I, t- I took it that way I also found you know the, the, the recommendation that um, they shortened the the number the number of days you know basically take away what they called the golden week um, that I think you know that was uh, that actually is an, a nod to the people that were very concerned about it and at the same time she added um, uh, you know th- making it so there would be four places that people could go um, or up to four I think is the way she worded it um, so that you know you'd have multiple locations we wouldn't all end up at vets memorial in franklin county for example
2: i was struck particularly just about how she really seemed to be doing some consensus building here Mm -hmm. her proposal seemed to reflect a lot of the recommendations and suggestions that she picked up at the public hearings she held you didn't hear of course Bruner's a democrat you haven't heard a huge outcry from the republicans you know in the past this election stuff has been such a hot hot issue and i almost feel like maybe she's you know, showing some restraint and sh- and trying to, you know, listen to all sides. It seems that way right now. Of course, we're not yeah. right up against an election.
3: It seems odd, however. I mean, while I think a lot of reforms make sense, it seems odd that she would announce the sweeping reforms after she's already said she's running for U- US Senate. Um, you don't have a lot of political clout and a lot of political muscle to get through these kind of things when you're already running for, for a completely different office as she is for US Senate.
2: But isn't the legislature waiting for this, these proposals?
3: Well, I don't know. I'm mean, just saying that. It to, to muscle them through and have the clout to do so, really, you n- normally take somebody who actually wants to be the Secretary of State. Yeah,
4: yeah. I think it's interesting what Kathy said, um, just because, you know, Jennifer uh, Bruner has been criticized very often for being too partisan in all of her actions in office. And so what, what I found was the same was that it seems like she was trying to maybe strike more of a, a bipartisan chord uh, with this one. But um, the thing that struck me, though, is that uh, th- one of the goals was still to. To finalize the the voter database, and I, I just kind of wonder why is that taking so long? Um, it seems like that should be because I think if they make that a priority, then that will probably take care of a lot of the you know the problems that they have had along the way with a lot of the you know the voter verification system, provisional ballots, else. and all that kind but of stuff.
1: But speaking of things that actually take a lot of money, fixing a voter v- registration database will take a lot of money. Um, if you, th- you know, and lots of your database work, so exciting. But if <laughs> you think, you know, basically, we were talking about not just one database, but it's multiple, multiple databases. All the counties have their own kind of l- little database that feeds into a major database, mm-hmm. and they don't have the same fields. So, that for anybody who does the, like Excel spreadsheets, you know, for example, address in some cases could actually include the city. I mean, like, it's that kind of crazy, that kind of crazy problems. And they've some done some things to kind of clean that up um, over or, or the Brunner administration. Uh, but it, it, you know, it's, it's going to take some money. Mm-hmm.
0: Is 20 days long enough for the early voting period? I know it eliminates the golden week by shortening it to, tw- to 20 because it, you can register to vote 30 days before, up to 30 days before an election. So you wouldn't have that week. Is 20 days long enough, though, given the lines we saw in 2008 in a big election? Well, keep in mind, he, she's
4: also recommending that we increase the number of locations mm-hmm. within yep. a county
0: that you can you know,
4: file your. Um, so instead of just one county with maybe very long lines, she I th- I believe she uh, recommended up to four yeah. mm-hmm. different locations within a county. So that should alleviate the longer lines. And it's still a three-week period. And I believe if you know if you give proper notice or letting folks know that you know you have this option, three weeks, four different locations. I mean I don't think that's going to be as, as big a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. It did worry me. Uh, th- the recommendation is that they don't do it that Monday before the actual election. And so I wondered about this message of this, you know, hey everybody, come, you can you can come and do your voting early at these, you know, four locations, except for the Monday before the election, and and it kind of worried me about like all the people that might like actually show up, and whether it was in fact necessary to do that because it's right before the election, just at the point that most people really really want this, um, they wouldn't be able to do it. Now I.
0: It's probably a nod to the election workers. I'm sure
1: it is. Say, I'm sure. The that day
0: it before is. the election, especially in a smaller county. I'm sure
1: that it is. Where you are trying to those
0: local
2: county election yeah. offices oh, yeah. for that d- in the last election for weeks they were mobbed. Yeah. I mean, they were just really struggling for weeks rather than, you know, a day or two. So I my guess is it is a nod to them
0: about eliminating the special elections? We've, we've heard on this show and complaints that the city council in Columbus is trying to sneak through this income tax right. like during an August election. Mm-hmm. Under this plan, that wouldn't be an option because mm-hmm. she wants to move all of the elections to either the primary election date in May or the general election date in November. Makes I actually sense?
3: like that idea. I think it's a very, it does make sense. But we, do, we know that a lot of times they try to sneak these little tax increases on these off-year mm-hmm. off election or off-time elections, like the August elections. School boards do it a lot, too. And
2: okay. well, I was going to say, for taxpayers, it's a cost issue. Yeah. You know, why do we need to pay for four elections a year? Why? I mean, is it really that necessary? Are our ballots that stuffed with issues? Probably not. Are
0: right. oh, the school boards going to fight this, do you think?
3: Probably, maybe quietly. Probably,
0: quietly. How about mailing them in? Oregon does <laughs> it for all of their elections. She's suggesting w- she points to the mm-hmm. to the race to uh, replace Stephanie Tubbs Jones, right. the late Congress person. Mm-hmm, right. um, it was a costly election. Really, very costly. Didn't really need it. Right. Mail those ballots in. Is
1: that a good idea? I actually think it's a good idea, um, one, it's it, it's a cost saving measure, but the other reason that it's a good idea is that we have an opportunity to decide, see how well we would do if everything was mail. I mean, it's this kind of like, you know, whether we want to think of it as a, a trial or, you know, that guinea pig period, it gives us an idea of what the problems are. Also when you think about um, voter fraud, um, in-person voter fraud is fairly rare, um, but um, w- it would be worth pay- spending some time thinking about, well, what about mail-in fraud, and so we need to be thinking about you know it's a good te- way to experiment
4: certainly from a cost-saving uh, you know standpoint it I, th- I think it's is worth considering and trying because uh, I can attest to the fact that in Cuyahoga County uh, that race it was very expensive and very few people actually showed up to even vote so it, it really did come across as a big waste of money although it was a necessary exercise I guess to find a, a replacement to finish that term
0: mm-hmm. What's not in the package, remember a long time ago, she suggested eliminating all the electronic machines with paper ballots. It's a long lost memory. I guess that's going nowhere because 2008 was a success. We don't expect to see that again.
2: No, and again, isn't that kind of a nod to the, what the local officials mm-hmm. were concerned about mm-hmm. and uh, their desires? I mean, I think sh- it's, I think she was listening to them. Surely, I think she had stated different preference prior, mm-hmm. but... In the end, I think she listened to what local officials had to say on that matter.
4: If if there's going to be a big one, another, I guess, big fight, it might be on a provisional ballot issue because she made Mm -hmm. a lot of recommendations along those lines that uh, Democrats and Republicans do not see eye to eye anywhere close. There's really no middle ground right now Mm -hmm. on that particular issue. So if there's going to be a fight, it's going to probably be over that in her recommendations.
1: Well, and I did wonder whether there would be a fight over the voter identification provisions. Now, she's suggesting something that is going to be so much simpler for poll workers, you show a photo ID or you have two other forms of identification simple for poll workers you know they're not going to be doing that scrambling that they did this last election and yet you have to wonder well, how will this affect people that are don't have ID, and who's the people that are likely to struggle with finding this extra paperwork? the are really poor people who've just mm-hmm. left housing or ca- or couch surfing, or you know, you try to imagine who are these folks? Right. <laughs> well, you know exactly what I mean when I say couch surfing. <laughs> you basically, you know, <laughs> sofa <laughs> surfing, couch surfing, moving from place to place. You know, who are the people that are the most likely to be disenfranchised in this situation? So I think it's worth having a really good conversation about this stuff. I thought it was just on Sunday afternoon
0: watching football. Couch <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Our second topic, the state budget debate is beginning to take shape. The Democratic-controlled House presented its plan this week. It differs from the governor's plan in several ways. It nixes his proposed franchise fee for hospitals and nursing homes. It increases slightly funding for social service programs. It does away with the governor's prison reforms. And the House budget is a half billion dollars more than Ted Strickland's budget. Mm -hmm. Reggie Fields, where did all that money come from? <laughs> um,
4: I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's. Uh, I, I suspect there's. I don't know. Federal stimulus money. I don't know how they've moved a lot of money around. They've, they've done a few different things, um, and that budget is probably going to head over to the Senate uh, next week or within the next two weeks. So um, there are going to be a lot of questions along those lines. I, I found what, it, what I found interesting though um, about what they did do is. Um, they found money to restore nursing homes, um, funding for nursing homes and so forth. But um, money that was cut for like food banks and children's services and, and different things like that was not fully restored. And I think that's going to be it's going to be kind of an interesting topic to watch. I believe once it goes over to the Senate, because it's going to give the, the Republican-controlled Senate an opportunity to kind of look like heroes along that line. Two words, Marianne. hospital lobby?
3: Yes, I was just going to say, (laughs) is there any more powerful lobby, except for maybe the banks, uh, than the nursing home lobby? I mean, this has been going on for decades. I know Kathy knows the same thing. Decades, we have watched this fight with the nursing home lobby. The governors are always trying to, because we're paying for a lot of empty beds and we're paying for a lot of services that people don't really even want to have. I mean, most people want a home health care now, and that's where the money should be shifting. But every single time a governor, and it's been Republican governors, and now a Democratic governor has tried to cut this, the nursing home lobby has marched in there and got the money back for, for for their clients.
2: I mean, Ohio spends twice as much as the national average on long-term care because most of our long-term care spending through Medicaid is on institutional care, right. and I, I think AARP had a poll within the last few weeks that showed 94% of seniors say they want their care at home. Now this budget does expand some home-based services like Passport PACE, some programs like that. But you're absolutely right; these these folks who are standing with their hands out for f- you know money for food pantries and all this, and when the House uh, edu- when the House Human Services Subcommittee Chair. Representative Brown got up and talked about what they did in committee. She said, "We spent so much time on the hospitals and the nursing homes, mm-hmm. and I thought those human services advocates were going to fall off their chairs. Mm-hmm. They were so it was offensive almost that what about all these other, you know, we've got people unemployment, all, all this stuff going up, but that's what they focused on and but it's it's telling." The
0: social service advocates wanted an increase of 62 million dollars. The house gave them 12.
2: Well, as we know, every budget goes through four phases,
3: and we're in phase two. So phase three is obviously the Senate, and the fourth phase is the Conference Committee, when the bill actually really gets written. So we'll see what the Senate does. They're going to rip it back apart. Then we'll go into the Conference Committee, and that's when we'll actually see a real bill.
2: But you know, Reggie, you said you think that the Senate will restore the human services money. I think that the House leaders will do it first, because I I really do think that they realize they're going to have a lot of egg and embarrassment on their face if they wait and let the Republican majority in the Senate ride to the rescue of these food pantries. And you know, the food pantries are asking for, what, $7 million. In this fifty-four bazillion-dollar but I mean, well, it's nothing. Well,
3: budget's back, Larry Householder
2: <laughs> was the one who uh, restored all the food pantry money. Well, maybe though. So, <laughs> and,
4: and, and fair or not <laughs> to not point sure out, but chance. the yeah. the, um, the House Speaker just happens to be very close friends with one of the most powerful nursing home lobbyists mm-hmm. in the state of Ohio. Now, I say fair or not because obviously the nursing home and hospital um, industries, they the lobbyists, they they give a lot to the Republican side as well. So they're just they're re- extremely Reggie powerful. Reggie just recently
2: wrote well, about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> This much, (laughs) Reggie, you didn't see the the nursing home folks come up and testify in public hearings. The work they did was behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You didn't see them waiting in hearings for eight hours to give their couple minutes of testimony about how they were going to suffer under the budget. Somehow they were heard elsewhere.
0: So is it
1: the money, Catherine, is why this lobby is so powerful? You know, one of the things that's nice is when other people say all the things that I'm really thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it it is incredibly disheartening to think that um, the budget is a place to, um, you know, give back to contributors, to give back to the people who, you know, are are lobbying so effectively. what about the food pantries? I mean, it really, you know, this is a process that just breaks, I mean, it doesn't just break your heart to think about how, you know, how we're cutting this and how we're doing this. Now, I have been somewhat hopeful because we have a divided government, you know, that it provides, I'm hoping that some of the fight, the give and take will actually produce better results. Because it means that the people that make the campaign contributions may be pushed a little bit out of the process. Now, the the, the hospital
0: the hospital industry <laughs> has claimed that these fees were unfair. They'd lead to layoffs. They'd lead to downsizing at, at these hospitals. I mean, is that what? What are the merits to those claims? I mean, you mentioned the stat that we pay a lot for in institutional well, care. I think
2: you've seen uh, hospitals, separate from institutional care, but I think you've seen already hospitals across the state have been laying off folks. This is before they're getting this new franchise fee imposed from the state. And interestingly, what the state is trying to do, uh, the Ohio's Medicaid program is funded by the state and then the federal government provides matching funds. If the state doesn't put money up, they don't draw down the federal funds. What they're doing is asking the hospitals and the nursing homes to put their money up through, the, through a fee or a bed tax and that to help the state draw down their money. Because the state's trying to shift the cost over to these Medicaid providers. I don't know, it's, 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 a new, it's a new tactic.
0: One more point on the budget, then we'll move on. The Republicans have, have released a study saying this is going to require a big tax hike in two years. Mary Taylor has said that. Uh, is, are the Republicans trying to pin a tax hike on the Democrats before they actually try to raise taxes?
3: Well, I mean, it's one-time money, and you're going to have to make up for it. I mean, so I think that it, it only makes sense. Anybody who's looking at this in an objective manner, you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat, independent. If you look at it in an objective manner, you have to replace one-time money. And the only way you do it is with tax increase.
2: Okay. Or cuts.
3: Or cuts. Or massive cuts. Or very massive cuts.
0: Speaking of tough budgets, the trek toward a city income tax vote took another step forward this week. Mayor Coleman laid out his plan to save up to $150 million over 10 years. The mayor's plan would have city employees pay more for health insurance and it would cut city contributions to employee pension funds. Kathy Kandinsky, this just doesn't apply to just city workers. We're seeing this private sector, public sector, the gold-plated benefits plans are disappearing even for government workers. Uh,
2: Yeah, I think what you're seeing is that what's happened in the private sector previously, um, you know, where companies are eliminating pensions, they're eliminating company matches to 401Ks. In the newspaper industry, we're seeing furloughs, pay cuts. Uh, assuming more of your health care, all these things to, for businesses to cut costs. Now the government sector is following suit. I think it's as simple as that.
4: And we saw another uh, example of that this week when the governor, um, instead of Um, or announced that the the tax receipts are coming in well short of what was projected and so far and and instead of uh, announcing more cuts he decided that he's going to try to take away some of the fringe benefits that maybe some state employees get such as maybe limiting their free parking or um, you know uh, holding off on orders for blackberries and different things like that that they may use to do their
0: jobs. Now one of the arguments for trying to retract state workers and government workers is the pay is not as good but the benefits are are great. A few years from now when times are good and the employment situation is better, is this going to hurt government in their, their efforts to get good people?
1: Well, then they can make the changes then. I mean, you know, right? I mean, you know what? It is important for us to, when we were in college, well, at least most of us, we lived like college students. We ate ramen noodles. We had macaroni and cheese. And and we are, as a collective, you know, whether it's the city government or whether it's the state, we need to not go out to eat two days a week. You know, there are choices that we need to make that are very painful, um, but we need to make them.
2: I think you're right. I mean, I think in better economic times to attract, and I think the same is going to hold true to the private sector, you know, you're going to need benefits to differentiate between what your you know, salary offerings are. And I think mm-hmm. that you'll see if the economy approves, when the economy improves, you're going to see some of that stuff coming back. Well, I've, I've worked both
3: sides in state government and in, in private industry. And I can tell you that state government benefits are fabulous. When you have to end up paying for it your own parking, when you end up having to pay for your own health insurance, when you have to pay for your own pension, it's, it's unbelievable how, how great the uh, state benefits are.
0: Um, a lot of these are tied to union contracts. That's why it's a 10-year a plan the mayor has to reduce these costs. How hard is it to, to change these contracts when these employees are gotten used to these benefits? Not, not just city, but state, mm-hmm. state contracts as well.
2: Well, it's going to be hard because it, it takes away the leverage you have when you're trying to bargaining, bargain these contracts. You know, we'll give a little on the health care. We want to make it up on, on the, the pension or whatever. There's yep. going to be less things for them to bargain with. I think it is going to be difficult.
0: Okay, let's get to our last topic. The school funding discussion is moving forward at the Statehouse. The uh, Columbus Dispatch found this week that the sc- school funding plan would hurt some central Ohio district. The dispatch proposal found that many Columbus-area school districts would lose millions of dollars, if not tens of millions of dollars they would have gotten with the governor's plan. Mary Sharkey, this solves one problem in that the poor districts, which actually were losing right. money under the governor's plan are doing better right. but it creates another one in that the city of columbus the city of dublin some other cities around town um, lose money
3: well that's the problem when you tinker with the with the school funding formula. There's always going to be winners and there's always going to be losers. And one of the biggest issues you're facing, certainly in the city of Cleveland and Columbus, are, are you're losing your population and you're losing uh, how many students you have. I mean, Cleveland in, has, in 10 years, lost almost 40% of its school population. Eventually, you're going to have to say to these school districts, you know, you can't have as much money as you used to have. And and they're still holding some of these districts harmless in terms of their population loss, and that, that's Shifts a little bit of the pro- problem, but every time you f- fool with this, and he- and we knew when Governor Strickland made that promise, we knew that he was rue the day that he made that promise to change school fo- funding formula.
0: Is this a step in the right direction, or oh, it seems like we're? It's a, it's kind of a, it's a process that you could see eventually leading to a reform plan, this the House plan. Coming after the governor's plan
3: but the problem is what is the reform plan yeah. i mean every time you start tinkering with a new reform plan it, it really does some districts going to be hurt and some going to be helped you can't you know with with the formula you can't flatline this stuff you can't just say for every student we're going to give you x number of dollars because you don't take into effect the differences in wealth in the districts
0: so does that mean <laughs> it's impossible to do this
2: well, I don't think it's impossible, but, the, but I think a problem with this plan, and it's perhaps unavoidable, is the fact that it's going to be phased in over ten years. That's true. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know what you can possibly accomplish when you're going to have how many different legislative leaders, how many different governors in place during the course of this phase-in, and they're all going to be of like mind?
3: And that's very true I and we, and with so. term
2: limits it's i mean th- nobody's going to be here at that time
3: except unless they've swapped seats no, they Nobody's going to be here which they the do <laughs> yeah that's right you know,
1: it's musical chairs <laughs> over <laughs> there at the state house and they go from the house <laughs> to the senate the
3: senate to the house but i mean th- i mean in 10 years you're correct i mean who's going to be there to say wow we made this promise uh, you
4: know 10 but years this, ago that's one of the tricks of, of you know the legislature as it sits right now i mean they can make those promises right now knowing they're probably not going to be in those same positions in 10 years from now. So they don't have to worry about that. Um, But I I think you make a good point. I mean, uh, the governor did not have to make this promise while he was running to fix, you know, school funding in his first term. And I just believe they got to come up with something for him to, to, to hold to that promise because I think what we're seeing is what's shaping is going to be the sort of the the Republican playbook for 2010 when the elections do start to roll around is to try to hold his feet to the fire on that issue. The
2: the governor is not going to fix school funding in his Mm -hmm. first term with a 10-year phase-in. He's going to say he did, but I don't see how you can make the claim if it's not fully phased in.
0: Can you front load it? Can you do the bigger reforms <laughs> in the first four years and then the smaller ones later on? Probably not. In this economy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, have already had
3: to backpedal on yeah. several right. things. Yeah. Um, in, in ter- and it's particularly now they're having calamity days. Um, they, you know, there's their, uh, charter schools are back in the budget. Mm-hmm. We knew we knew the House and the Senate were going to probably put charter schools in because charter schools are not only popular with conservatives, but they're also popular with the urban urban districts and with the minority yep. uh, who who believe it really does you know give it children opportunity to get an education this is
4: this is another area where that one-time money that federal stimulus money again becomes a very big topic because a lot of that money is tied into this particular plan um, which the governor had originally wanted to phase in in two years and now the house has said no we're going to stretch
0: it out much longer than that Okay, let's get to our weekly off the record comments from our panel final thoughts predictions for the weeks ahead kathy kandisky you're up first
2: i am going to predict that all this budget talk, I think we're going to see an effort. I was trying to figure out what the Senate's going to do, the majority Republicans in the Senate. I think they're going to try and move, uh, get some funds into it, get, uh, get a rainy day fund set up or, or reestablished and put some money in it to try and ease what's the impact two years out. Okay,
4: Reggie. Along the same lines uh, to to address the budget, I think we're going to see yet another slots or gambling proposal that's going to start to be floated around the state house in the next uh, week or so. This one probably is going to come from the bars and restaurant groups industry.
3: Okay, Marianne. I'm going to go to sports. <laughs> I think the, <laughs> I predict that the Blue Jackets will win the Stanley Cup before the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man! Oh, I would love
0: that. <laughs> That's
1: pretty bold after a four-game sweep. <laughs> Catherine, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how to top that. <laughs> Um, I just think the next week is going to be very exciting because I th- we have this wonderful, you know, ele- basically um, the Brennan Center for Justice came out with a report, the Secretary of State's office has come out with a report, the um, League of Women Voters have come out with their recommendations, and we have this bill in the Senate. So I think the next couple of weeks will be devoted to good election and administration reform.
0: Great. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this discussion at our website, WOSU.org. Our question this week, should all Ohio elections be mail-in ballot only like they do in Oregon? That's at our website, WOSU.org. There you can also check out other topics for discussion, our blog. But, of course, we shan't Twitter here at WOSU, at least not on my show. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.